Sure. Hi, Dan. Hi. Hi, I'm on the line with my mom here. She's got American Express on the phone. Okay. And she needs me to authorize them to let her to look into my account. I see. So can you hold can you hold the phone for just a for second? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Uh, go ahead, mom. Yeah. So there is there there should be a button where it says it's on hold that you can Dan, how do you she she's got the American Express lady on hold. Oh. Uh you just hit I believe there is a little hold button. Oh, oh wait. You just oh, tap I'm it. So, I'm sorry. She she's there now. Hang oh. on just a second. I go go ahead. Hi Nicole. My my name's John Roderick. Yes, please. Yes, I indemnify American Express, and I approve. Thank you. All right, perfect. Uh, so if you wish, I can go ahead and just finish speaking with your mother from here. That's perfect. I prefer that you call her my manager. Hey, your manager. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just discovered it. No, it's all right. It's, uh, <laughs> it's pure gold. Okay, bye. All right. I got to take care. <laughs> That's great. I got a I got a message this morning from American Express that said <clears throat> that I have some kind of fee, you know. Yeah. Oh no. Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't from American Express. I've started to use the Mint program. Yeah. M- yeah, Mint, Mint good stuff, Mint. Familiar of familiar with Mint. Yeah. Started to use Mint and Mint sends me alerts all the time. Oh yeah. Oh, did you know that you spent $42 on French fries? And I'm like, I don't eat French fries, man. So they sent me a thing today. American Express just charged you $27 for some kind of fee. And I said, this is outrageous. So I called my manager. (laughs) Yes. And I said, what the goddamn hell? Yeah. What do I pay you for? And so she then got them on the phone and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> and then, of course, they need authorization. I've yeah. So anyway, now it's all taken care of, and um, even better than my sister. You know, my my sister can can scare people on the phone into doing what she wants, but my mom just is like um, it, it's like she's like one of those orcish war machines from the Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, just, just methodically assails the walls of Gondor until the walls fall. And uh, so I'm sure she and that uh, young lady, Nicole are having a wonderful talk right now, mm-hmm. but whatever the hell that completely outrageous fee was for nothing. Anyway, how are you, Dan? I'm pretty good. You know, you said that you wanted to get started on time today and you were here. You were ready to go. Well, what's funny is I ran outside. I got in my truck. I started it. I, uh, the truck t- takes some time to warm up, of course, because it's a carbureted motor. Mm-hmm. And then usually I get into a kind of little bit of a fugue state there because I don't check my, I don't check my email or, or my device. Let's call it a device. I don't check it in the morning until I'm sitting in the truck waiting for it to warm up. But then I went down a little device hole and realized, oh no, the truck was warmed up. I looked at my 
watch and I said, I can't make it to the office in time to be on time for Dan. So I turned off the truck and I walked back in and now I'm using my mobile podcast here at the house. So if there's any kind of, you know, if there's any, look, you need to indemnify me. Right. Against any complaint or (laughs) lawsuits (laughs) as a result of the home podcasting system. Yeah. Okay. Done. Consider it done. You are indemnified. Thank you. Just chilling, just cold chilling. Yeah. Remember how you, up. at one point you said, I don't want to interrupt you, but it, there's something I've just been meaning to ask. Remember how you said you'd try to, you go out of your way to save a, a spider? Mm-hmm. Like if you find a spider in your home, you would try to capture it and put it, put it outside. Mm-hmm. Do you do the same thing for roaches or? Oh, well, first of all, we don't have those here. Really? No. The roaches that you're talking about, the giant, mm-hmm. like hissing well, bugs. The size of a Bic lighter. Yeah. No, they don't, they don't have. Is it too cold or something for them? Ah, so one time I was down in the basement of a, of an old building in Pioneer Square, which is the oldest part of town. And I saw one of those roaches. I'd never seen one anywhere else in Seattle, but I saw one down uh, in Pioneer Square. And of course that's right by the waterfront which is where you would expect gross roaches to arrive in the city, right? On some, on some boat. Yeah. So I saw one and I was like, huh, my whole life in Seattle, I never saw a bug like that here. I've seen them all everywhere else. One time in Washington, DC, I saw a, like a, it wasn't a fire hydrant. It was like one of those, um, you know, where the railing comes down out of a, out of a, the, the stairs of a stoop of an old brownstone. Sure. Yeah. And the, and the little towers at the end of the railing that are called, you know, they're not the, the steins or whatever. They're the, they're, they're the big towers at the, at the bottom of a staircase. One of them, and they were made out of wrought iron and one of them had been like the top had been knocked off of it and roaches were pouring out of this thing like water out of a fire hydrant. Like they were coming out of the top and coming down all sides of this thing. And the, these giant roaches of Washington, D.C., which are like uh, the size of rats, you know, they're, they're huge and yeah. black and they move so fast. And I, you know, I stood, I stood at a safe distance from this, this fountain of uh, pestilence and I couldn't believe my eyes because what it represented was underneath the sidewalk or underneath somehow this operation there was a there was a like a a ninth layer of hell which was just a billion roaches all looking for all all headed to the daylight but so seattle does not have those seattle does have those tiny little brown sort of roaches Uh, you know they're they're only the size of a of a fingernail yeah Smaller than a fingernail, and they're burnt, they're light brown. I don't know what those German roaches or something. Right. Uh, but I have, the only time I ever saw one of those was I was I was living in a really shitty apartment, and they had and, and I had those little German roaches, and uh, <clears throat> I complained to the manager, and he was like, "It's not my problem." And then there was a rat under my refrigerator. Uh oh, a live one or dead? Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I heard all this banging in the. <laughs> In the kitchen, and I was like, what the hell is going on? And I walked into the door of the kitchen, and I was like, uh, the refrigerator was just, like, going crazy. 
And then all of a sudden, this thing comes out from under the refrigerator, running toward me. And in my, like, horror, the first thought that went through my head was, that's a big mouse. It was clearly not a mouse. Right. And it ran toward me, and then I guess it saw me or something, and it turned left and ran, like, under the sink and was gone. And I called the manager of the building, and I said, there's a rat in my apartment. And he was from India, and he said, John, I did not make the rat. (laughs) God made the rat. (laughs) Right. If you have a problem with the rat, take take it it up up with God. God. Okay. And I said, I cannot live in this house anymore. No. And so I left, and I was so mad at him that I took all the light bulbs. (laughs) I didn't need I didn't need the light, the light bulbs, but I took them all. So, uh, that was, that was, that was a low, low moment in my life. Yeah. But, but, but no, uh, a, uh, a, cr- a creepy bug. I, I could never understand how people in New York killed roaches, um, like, like whacking them because they're so gross. They're like, it's a, it's all this carnage. Yeah. In the aftermath. Yeah. But then one night, and I'm sorry to just be all these like one night stories, but one night I was in a, I was in a terrible, terrible little motel in Hungary. And, uh, and I had arrived there late after dark and it was kind of, you know, Hungary has this, uh, this giant river running through it that you may be familiar with called the Danube. I've heard of that. But in addition to the Danube, um, Hungary also has a lot of other rivers. It's a very, um, it's a very riverine country. Lots of, lots of wet rivers. And this was, and people like vacation around the rivers or, you know, the rivers are like part of the nice it's the it's the nice weekend countryside of Hungary, right? The river life, and I was staying in this little motel, and I turned off the lights. I'm laying there in bed. I'm just kind of letting myself relax down into sleep, and I hear this. What the hell is? And I turn on the lights, and there are. Just giant, awful roaches. How many? Like lots. Not, not like a fountain of them. But they're coming in under the door. So I get a towel out of the bathroom and I, I roll it up and I stick it at the bottom of the, of the door of the room. And I, you know, I get back in bed turn off the lights you know they're big enough that you can hear them they're 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 huge yeah they have they have feet and a weight yeah yeah and uh so i get back up out of bed and they are um like they're getting in the room somehow they're kind of all and i had i didn't notice it you know when you when you first check into a place you don't think uh Oh, well, the first thing I'd better do is walk around this room and see how many awful, like, fucking monster bugs there are. No, that's not step one. Well, not 
Not where you're from, but if you live oh. in Florida, yeah. Well, I guess, yeah. But uh, this happened another night in uh, in Bratislava. Same story. These huge bugs. So, <clears throat> so I'm like, okay, you know, this is part of life. This is, you know, there are lots of places in the world where people deal with bugs like this, and um, you have to just chill and understand that the roaches are, you know, they're not here to get you. They're just gross and you're exhausted. You don't have the energy right now to go to war with these bugs. Right. So just go to sleep, you know, just chill out. I turned off the lights. I couldn't sleep. And then, and then one falls on me from uh-huh. the sea. Uh-huh. Like it hits me. And I leapt up and I spent the rest of the night killing roaches, Ugh. killing them, killing them with vengeance, like smashing them on the walls with my shoes. How many do you think you killed in the night? Oh, <clears throat> I am legend <laughs> in the roach world. There were that many. They just kept coming. They just kept coming and uh. they were huge. And the thing was, <clears throat> I, I was mad at this hotel. Now, now it may be like my old landlord said that God did not, or that he, uh, the landlords of this place did not make the roach. God made the roach. Right. But what they did was, did not do anything to prevent the roaches from falling on me in the night. Yeah, they gave the roaches a, a wonderful place to live. Yeah. And so I did not feel bad about the fact that I was smashing roaches on the walls, in the, on the floor of the bathroom. Everywhere I found a roach, I smashed it. And, you know, they're gross. When you smash them. Oh, yeah. And these were gross smashed, smashed roaches. And when I left that place, it was awful looking. I, I left an awful, awful. Well, yeah, that serves them right. That's their problem. Well, I still felt bad, but I and I didn't get any sleep because the roaches kept coming. And I just I became one of those, um, you know, those shell shocked sort of born again hard. Uh, you know, PTSD people yeah. who was, you know, was now, uh, now I had roach blood on my hands, yeah. but it was not a thing I could, I couldn't have just been chill about it. Right. And I realized then what it was like to be someone in New York who was, who had to kill bugs all the time as part of their, as part of their regular life. Um, I felt awful for them too. I felt awful for, for New Yorkers. I felt awful for, I didn't feel bad for the roaches. They're so awful. Well, there's also a whole lot of them. I mean, I'm not saying like life isn't valuable, but there are a lot of roaches. No, I don't think their lives are valuable. Well, the reason I, the reason I asked you is my, uh, my family has noticed a couple baby roaches. Now these are Texas roaches. Now, what are Texas roaches? Well, I grew up in Philly, and I'm very much familiar with what you're talking about when you talk about the German cockroach. I get that. The little brown one. They're little, they're, you know, they're bigger than a thumbnail, but they're not, they're not big. They're not cute, but they're easy enough to, you see one once in a while, you smash it, it's, it's not a big deal. When we moved to Florida, they had a whole different kind of roach there. I don't know what it is. People have said that it, 
It's something else. We used to call them palmetto bugs. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. That's, I've heard that term. And I'm not 100% sure if they are, in fact, a palmetto bug or if they are an American cockroach. I don't really know, and I don't care. I hate the name, even. When you yeah. say cockroach, I, I just go, Ugh. I'm pretty sure that they were American cockroaches. Maybe they were palmetto bugs. I don't know. Yeah. But I'll describe them to you just enough to say they're, they're large. And when I say large, I'm talking about three inches. Three yeah. inches. I've uh, seen bigger. You're kidding. No, no. They're, they're very big. And they, uh, and they fly. Oh, see, this is just untolerable. And yeah, no, it's the worst. And then what happens is they get in your house and you don't, it's not like with a, I'm again, Philadelphia, you see a little German cockroach. It's running across the ground. It scurries away with these things. They usually, you don't see them except out of the corner of your eye and they're up on a wall or on a ceiling and you can't, you know, you've got to go after them with a broom or something because you're not going to, you're not like you, you're not going to sleep, right? Like you're not going to go to sleep if you know it's there. Once you know it's there, that's all you're, that's what you're doing tonight. Yeah. You're getting rid of that. Yeah. And those things were pretty horrible. When I moved to Texas, I remember we were in a, we had sold our house in Florida and we had drove up and we were, uh, we were naive enough to think that it would be like Florida here in Austin and that we'd be able to, like drive around and, and find a house to rent because we wanted to rent a house. We were expecting our second child and we wanted to rent a house. We thought we'll rent a house for a year. We'll figure out the neighborhood we really want to be in and where the schools are and all of that stuff. And once we feel like really at home here in Austin after a year and we know everything about where people with families might want to live, then we'll start the process of buying a house. And if that takes a few months, whatever, that we're not in any rush. But we got here and the rental market, because so many people had the same exact idea as us, the rental market was just crazy. You'd (laughs) you'd show up and you'd see new listings. You had to work with a real estate agent to rent a place. And by the time the new listings would show up, by the time you'd make it out to look at the place to see if you wanted to rent it, it would already have five offers on it, all of them overbidding the asking monthly price. And that the, the rental price was more than what you'd be paying to mor- to own to buy the place on a mortgage. You know, that's very common now in Seattle. Really? It's yeah, there's these crazy, crazy bidding wars that are happening on the front porch of the house, you know, where people are like, I'll give you 100000 more than they're asking. <laughs> oh, my God. It's insane. It's, and this was, just, this was just to rent. And I said, this is ridiculous. And he's like, well, you know, if you have the ability to buy, that, that's much, much easier because it's mm. still a hot market, but it's not like the rental. I said, well all right, just, you know, we'll have to spend a week learning Austin then and doing nothing else. And we, we you did, were forced into buying a house. We're forced into buying a house. We did fine. I mean, we, the goal was to buy anyway, and we could have afforded to buy from the beginning. We just, I just thought it would be better to sort of rent and figure it out. Sure. But we wound up buying. We did, we did well. We found a great place. So that's been fine. But I remember in this rental house that we were in, we were in like a vacation rental, which is just to say that somebody decided that they wanted to rent their house and used one of these companies on the Mm. internet so that if you wanted to stay in a place for more than just a few days, you want to stay there for a few weeks, you could just rent the house. Kind of like an Airbnb before Airbnb, I guess. Yeah. 
And we sense. we were in this place, and I remember how I was thinking how nice it was. It was you know it was like it was May, and it had been a really rainy May. And I one night I'm like, oh, you know, I think I'll go sit out back and just enjoy the evening. And I went over to the door, and I just saw these Texas roaches, which are in that same three to four inch size, but they had thick abdomens, like heavy abdomens they were just coursing over the door in waves just over the windows of the door and and i looked out the window and they were just all they were everywhere i don't think this place had ever had pesticide treatment of any kind and i just shuddered i just like oh just i'm never going outside of there texas roaches they were really big and eventually one of course I woke up early one morning to go make some coffee and there was one just sitting there on the stove. It was yeah, of course. so big. Ugh. So, so I, <clears throat> I knew Ugh. some, uh, I knew some stoners <laughs> over the years. Yeah. And, uh, I was talking to a guy one time about roaches because I, I don't know if you and I have had this conversation before, but roaches are a very popular topic. And, uh, people For among are, stoners or just people in general? Just in general. Okay. People like to talk about roaches. People that are from uh, heavy roach places and people that are from light roach places. Um, it comes up eventually. Like in Alaska, there are no bugs like that of any kind. If you, um, if you are like an anti-bug, anti-venomous creature. Right. Anything with venom does not survive in Alaska. There are no venomous snakes. There are no venomous anythings. There are spiders, which have venom, I guess. But not, they're not even like the spiders in Seattle. I mean, by weight, uh, are absolutely much larger portion of the biomass than humans. Mm. They're just spiders. You right. know, it's just part of the deal here. In Anchorage, Nothing. You know, you're the 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 biggest the biggest insect or the biggest insect problem in Alaska is seagulls. Like, <laughs> you know, they're just it's not a it's it's just not a thing that you even think about. But I was talking to some guy a long long time ago, and he was from Florida, and he said, "Man, one time I picked up my bong, a three foot graphics bong, man," and I was like, "I'm with you." He said, and I took a big hit off my bong and there'd been a roach living in the bong. No. And I took this big hit and the roach went in my mouth along with the weed. <gasps> terrible. Big palmetto bug, one of these big. I was like, I'm never smoking pot in Florida. And, and you know what, Dan? I never have. You never did. <laughs> never smoked pot in Florida a single time. They get into things, John. They get <clears throat> into things. I remember one time. My wife and I were in, in bed, and this is back when we probably used to watch TV in bed, like back in the you know late 90s. Well, now, hold on. You don't watch TV in bed now? God, no. So your TV is sequestered somewhere. Oh, yeah. In a TV room. Yeah. You go in there to watch TV, and then when you're done, turn it off, close the door, TV is... Well, I mean, it's our, it's our sort of family room. It doesn't have a door, but yes. Right. So you have family in there. Yeah. TV can be a portion of that. Yeah. But then... There's, you don't lay in bed and God, watch. God, no, never, absolutely not, never. I don't do any anything in bed except, you know, sleep and what have you. You subscribe to the don't do anything in bed except sleep and what have you. Yes. And did you 
come to that on your own or did you read that as a philosophy of a happy life? Well, I, I, you know, if, uh, there's no right answer there. If you've had, if you've ever had like sleeping issues of any kind, which I, I feel like you haven't had. No, I have tremendous sleeping. Okay. Do you? Yes. My problem is that I don't like to go to sleep. Right. And I don't like to wake up. But if you want to go to sleep or when you finally decide to go to sleep, you go right to sleep, right? No. <laughs> I don't like to go to sleep. And that is, that's something that's not like I'm wandering around the house picking up stuff and, and doodling. I don't want to go to sleep yet. It is that as I'm laying in bed, it's 530 in the morning and my eyes are like, I can't hold them open. Yeah. But still in my, in my will cabin, in the, in the, what, in the, what? what is that? On the bridge. Okay. Right. The captain says, no, just one more eek out, eek out one or two more minutes of life before you go gently into that good night. Mm. And so I'm doing crossword puzzles. I'm reading magazines and I'm, I'm, and I'm like actually just jolting from falling asleep, like on my feet, right? right. It's the, the jolt that, you know, it's now time to pull over into a rest stop and sleep in the front seat of your car. But I'm in, I'm actually in my bed. I could have been asleep for the last two hours. So I resist my will cabin. Did I say will cabin? Yes. The cabin where my will lives. Cause your will doesn't live in an apartment in the town, right? Your will lives in a cabin somewhere. Okay. Where, 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 I like this imagery a lot, right? Where other people can't, other people don't intrude on it. It's a grouchy old will sitting yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And there, that character <clears throat> refuses to succumb to sleep until there's no, until there's no further resistance. <clears throat> and likewise, the, you know, like, like sleep bubble, sleep mm -hmm. cotton. Yeah. Or whoever, whatever little like drowsy, um, drowsy fairy named sleep cotton <laughs> who has, you know, kind of a gauzy pink outfit and like, and like floaty, uh, you know, translucent wings. She doesn't want me to wake up at all. Mm. She's like, no, no, no. Shush, 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 shush. And I'll wake up and I'll look at the clock and I'm like, it's eight o'clock. I could get up. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't need to get up. Shush, 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 shush. That's like, hmm, it's 930. I should probably get up. Oh, hush, 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 hush. Just roll back over. This morning I did the, and I actually noticed it as I did it. I, I sat up. I threw the covers off of myself. I stretched. Oh, boy, big stretch. And then the act of stretching is a, uh, is a kind of uh, anesthetizer, right? Like as soon as I get completely stretched out, the only thing that my body can do is grab the covers, pull them back over myself. And then I, then I slept till 1130. Wow. We would like to say thank you very much to Mac Weldon at this time. Mac Weldon, it's better than whatever you're wearing right now. This is a fact. Mac Weldon prides itself on smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. When they wanted to be a sponsor, I said, all right, well, you know, let me check this thing out and see if this is reasonable, see if this is something that 
listeners would like. But if it's hard to use, if it's not a good shopping experience, they're not going to like it. So I went to MacWeldon. It's at MacWeldon.com, and I checked it out. And it's a great site. It's super simple. They specialize in just a few things. They make it very straightforward, and I really like that. They got underwear, socks, shirts. And like, that's it. They don't have a hundred other things. Undershirts and hoodies. And they even have sweatpants. But that's it. You know what I'm saying? It's not a million different products. It's just the basics, the stuff that you as a guy will need. All their products are naturally antimicrobial. That means they eliminate odor. And they want you to be comfortable. They want you to like the stuff that they make. But if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they still refund you. No questions asked. Performs well. It's good to work out in. I've tried it. I know what I'm talking about. You can wear this to work. Everyday life. Super comfortable stuff that you're going to like. MacWeldon.com. MacWeldon.com. And use our promo code ROADWORK, one word, to get 20% off. Now listen, if you actually go there and use this, and go buy a pair of sweats, get a t-shirt, get some underwear, that will support the show. Using that coupon will save you 20%. So go check it out. MacWeldon.com. Promo code is ROADWORK and get 20% off your order. So you have sleep issues, Dan? Well, I think everybody does, but mine are different, I think, than than yours. Uh, but I you don't have you know sleep cotton and uh, no and, and will crotchety doesn't come no no not at all. Uh, but I I can tell you that like when I wake up in the morning, I, I don't think I've ever used. I mean, I've u- I use an alarm for some reason as like a fail safe, but I don't. I'm always awake before the alarm, and my, when I when I wake up in the morning, I'm fully awake as I'm awake. When I first open my eyes in the morning, as I am right now talking to you, for, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Now so, say that again. Where I'm, I, feel, I feel relatively awake right now. Mm-hmm. We're, having a con- we're, in, we're in conversation. I'm, I'm alert. I'm uh-huh. aware of what's going on in this room. You know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. If you said, operate heavy machinery, I'm, I'm ready to do it. Right. You know. If someone, I could if throw it. Like, I could throw a dart at a target if I was required to. You know, I'm I'm ready. If somebody burst into the room right now yeah. and attack you with their hands. I'm ready Good. to defend. I'm ready okay. to defend. Counterattack. Okay. Good. That's right. I Not feel right. Right. I feel. I feel like this when I wait, when my eyes open in the morning. There isn't sort of a stage of oh, I can't get up. No, it's just like okay, back to business, ready to go. Instant alertness. Yeah. Wow. I'm not saying that I fly out of the bed and like land in my, you know, shoes and walk out the door. I'm, you know, I like a relaxed morning if possible, but I don't go you're, through. You're, you're awake and you're alive. Yeah. But uh, I've, I read that one of the things that can help you, you know, kind of fall asleep and stay asleep and, and is, is that if you build associations with your bed that are not those fitting into those two categories of sleep and what have you, then you like, so for example, you shouldn't following the sleep advice, sleep experts advice. You shouldn't do something. Many people do in bed, watch TV. You shouldn't read in bed. You shouldn't browse your, the internet on your phone in bed. And these are things that most people do, but the, the thinking, the advice is don't do that. Keep those activities separate 
and 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 maybe don't even do them in the bedroom necessarily that the bedroom itself should just be a staging area for for sleeping and other things and i it, it seems to have helped me doing that seems to have helped me so i uh, but anyway back in the day when i didn't know any of this my wife and i were laying in bed and we heard a sound like you're describing a little kind of sound and we looked up and we could see one of these florida palmetto bugs coming out of the fan the top part ah! of the ceiling fan and we both just sat there looking at it not sure what to do and the fan was on it was on low and we're like don't don't go onto the fan don't go onto the fan don't go on a fan because you could tell it was like starting to work its way down to the so what do you do you can't you can't I mean, you're in bed. You can't react to that. Like, you can't run and go get a broom. And then how would you do it? Would you turn off the fan? Would you try to whack it down? As I'm trying to figure out what to do, all this is going through my head. Then it is right above the fan blade. You can see the fan blade spinning, spinning, spinning. And then it jumps on the fan blade. And the fan blade slings it across the room. And then it takes flight and it starts flying in the... Oh, it was Terrible. Terrible. But I've had I've had roaches uh, or palmetto bugs, whatever they are. I've seen them going up the shower curtain. I've seen one when I used to keep a, a fish tank. I was doing a water change. I was changing. I had what's called a hang-on back filter. It's a filter that is sort of external to the tank, and it sits on the rim of the tank on the back. Oh, sure. The hang-on back filter. That's right. Yeah. You know those. Oh, sure. And I was in the process of doing a uh, a water change. It was time to clear out the filter, so I just moved it a little, and I thought I saw something underneath. And it turns uh, out there was a small family of uh, these things, two or three of them living underneath of the Underneath rim. the hang-on back filter? Yes. It was disgusting. I found them in shoes. One time when I was a, a kid in high school, one of them w- went onto my face at night while I was asleep. My goodness. Dan, so you, you, when my kid says I saw a baby roach, Daddy, I'm, I snap into into action there. Sure, hunter dad. Yeah, mode. there's there's stuff that you can buy online at like epetsupply.com. It's the commercial grade stuff that they sell. You can get yourself, and then you can apply it just the way the pesticide guy, this pest guy, would. Is this is this made by the Advion company? Yes, sir. See, uh, for those listening to the program, the Advion company uh, makes a brand of uh, pesticides that I have found very effective very in killing uh, sugar ants at least and I had a I had a uh, like one of the what a professional insecticidist what, what, what are they called uh, what are the people that come to kill pests Damn. Yeah, the, the exterminate pest control exterminator yeah yeah, I had a guy come here and he saw my 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 Advion ant stuff because he was here to get to get <laughs> raccoons and possums out of the paddock. <laughs> All right, he was like, "Where did you get that?" And I said, "This." And then I did that thing. I got it on Amazon, <clears throat> but I did that thing where I was like, "Oh, I don't know. You know, I know a guy. You got a source." And he said, "That's professional grade insecticide. <laughs> That's the stuff I use. How do you have it?" Right. <clears throat> I said, "I'm afraid, my friend, that Amazon is making everything." available seven thousand seven thousand seven hundred and eighty seven customer reviews number one bestseller in patio lawn and garden twenty two dollars and fifty five cents you get four of the cockroach mm. tubes with a little plunger and two tips 
And and from my understanding, the way that the Advion insecticide works, this is how this is how I I understand it is that at least in the case of the ants, uh, they love it and they they eat it. They take it into unto their mandibles, and then they take it back and feed it to the whole hive as ants do. Feed it to the queen and yeah. spread it around. Yeah, and then it gets inside their little nervous systems. Right. It doesn't just kill them like. Eh, it gets inside their nervous systems and it creates it, it creates havoc. It's actually like an awful chemical weapon that if 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 Saddam had actually had something like this, the the Gulf War would have been justified. Oh yeah. And if the ants were capable of mounting a Gulf War style attack on me, they would have every justification. The ant Colin Powell would be standing up in front of the ant UN <laughs> holding some Advion ant goop in a bag yes and there would be outrage and then uh, it would it would actually be a just war but i don't care because ants are awful you know one time in in austin now that we're talking about texas mm. sized bugs one time in austin we were coming down i-35 oh yeah and uh, just north of town it was during the it was during the south by southwest festival but before the time when South by Southwest just excluded anyone else from being in Austin. Okay. Uh, when we stripped first of uh, the first South by Southwest I went to was 1998, let's say. And up until 2003, South by Southwest, it was growing fast, but it still felt like a funky kind of Texasy independent music festival. I remember the, <clears throat> the year they built that Hilton hotel right off of sixth street. Okay. Yep. The year that hotel opened, it was like kind of ridiculous. Like they built this huge hotel right here in the middle of Austin. Like that's, that's a little bit hopeful. Don't you think? How are they ever going to fill this thing? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that, that first year, uh, like King bedrooms during the festival were like $99. And I think now, if anyone's listening to the program who wants to go to Austin during South by Southwest and rent a king-size room in the Hilton Hotel, you will find it is more than $99. Yes, sir. It is a da the daily charge of what you could probably get a 1974 Dodge Dart for. <laughs> uh, but at the time, so we're driving into town and we were, we, uh, this was like, I don't know, it was it was right after you couldn't stay in the Hilton for cheap anymore, but right before the whole town went crazy. And we stopped at a super eight up on I 35. Oh, here's what it was. I was staying with a girl and my bandmates just needed a place to crash. So I pulled into the super eight. I got them a room. I was like, here's a room for you guys. I'll see you in the morning. And they got into the room and there were three of them, so it was like two guys get a bed, and then somebody's got a roll, roll out, a roll roll up mattress. And they roll the mattress into the room, and they pull the the you know it's like two a.m. now. The dudes pull the the uh, the blanket back, and the bed is swarming with ants. Ooh. Like it's just a it's a bed of ants, and they go into the office, and they're like. We can't, you know, what the, what the hay and the people in the motel say, that's the last room. That's the last rollaway bed. Oh no. We're very sorry for the inconvenience. 
So they had to roll the rollaway bed out into the parking lot. And, uh, and then it was like two guys to a bed. I felt terrible for yeah. them the next day, but not that bad. No, for them. you weren't going to because I was, your bed. I was somewhere else. Yeah. You know, my bed was clean and soft white sheets. Yep. Little breeze through the window. Yeah, that was the that was the that was the weekend that I read uh, No Country for Old Men. Really? Yeah, she had it on her nightstand, and uh, you know, and in the morning I was there by myself, and I was like, "Hmm, nothing to do today." My my bandmates are all fighting ants across town. Maybe I'll sit here and le- have a leisurely read. And then I got into No Country for Old Men, the book, which is a very good book. I've never read that book. It's a <clears throat> it's a very good book, and what's astonishing about it is that the film No Country for Old Men does a very good job of translating the book to the screen. Really? It's part of the reason why the film No Country for Old Men is such a good film. But the ending, the ending of the movie is somewhat unsatisfying. And it's because the ending of the book is somewhat unsatisfying. Really? But the ending of the book is better than the ending of the movie. And I would say that the I would say that the entire film came so close to being as good as the book that it's like this is wow. When I saw the movie, I was this is incredible filmmaking because it hews so closely to the book and yet surpasses it in the in the acting. But then at the very end, it's kind of like that. It's that moment where you're like, how are they going to pull this off? How are they going to? How are they going to communicate all the nuance and confusion? And yeah, the book is the end of the book is unsatisfying because not because the writing is bad, but because it doesn't resolve. I see. There's a lot left in the. There are a lot. There are more questions than there are answers, Dan. At the end of the film, it was sort of like, how do we get? You know, how do we get out of here? It's kind of the way it felt. There's a book called The Long Walk. This is the one with the winter time, the snowman or something. Yeah, the snowman. Yeah, you told me about that once. Same thing where you just, you get to the end of the movie and you're like, wait, 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 wait. The whole point of this is that there was an abominable snowman. Abominable. Abominable. I've never been able to say it since I was a kid and I was really into abominable snowmen. Yeah. What were we talking about? This never happens. This never happens. No, I don't want to talk about roaches anymore. Oh, I will say one thing about roaches that embarrasses me. And what embarrasses me is that growing up in a world without bugs, as I did mostly, and reading in books, as you do as a young person, about scorpions and hairy spiders and venomous snakes and, and big giant hissing bugs, flying bugs. I, I had a, I had a very native, um, like gross out effect about bugs. And if you believe, if you think that there's any of that kind of thing encoded in the genes, Mm. like I don't have, I have no ancestors in any line of any branch of any part of my family who, who are, who originated in a place any further south than Belgium. Okay. With the exception of like, there's one branch of my family that's Swiss. Hmm. 
And Switzerland, although south of Belgium, uh, gets a pass because of its altitude. So, like, there's nothing... You would have to go back to before, in some cases before the 1300s, where we have traced our ancestry. And there are, in, there, there are branches of the family my mom has gone that far back. Like, to, uh, to find anyone that came from, <clears throat> you know, south of the Rhine. And so we don't have, in me, there is very little native like experience of bugs. No ancestor of mine ever lived in a tropical place or in a place where there were bugs. You know, most Americans have a little bit of, you know, they're a little bit related to Tecumseh or something. Right. Or, you know, some amount of, oh, New Orleans, you know, one, one of my great grandparents was from New Orleans or something where there was, where there's a little bit of genetic diversity. I don't have any, I don't have any, I don't, you know, I feel like somebody that could catch smallpox because I have no resist. I mean, although I have tremendous resistance to smallpox, but like, I'm afraid if I go into some, you know, some cave or some wet place that I'm going to get a, 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 some tropical foot eating disease that I have no immunity to because they just didn't have that in Denmark. And what it has done is from the time I was very young, the fear of bugs and gross crawlies, let's just call them what they are, crawlies, has inhibited my travel. Mm. Like I am so creeped out by crawlies that at least when I was in my 20s and I was traveling profusely, I... I I didn't want to travel places where there might be crawlies. And those experiences I was talking about in Bratislava and, and uh, along the Tiza River, where, where there were crawlies, I was, you know, 30 by then. Right. And still, like, couldn't go to sleep if there were crawlies. Couldn't even, couldn't, you know, even, even beaten to the point of exhaustion, I couldn't sleep if I was in a room where there were crawlies. And, and I still have, you know, I've never been to Laos, which I want to do. I've never been to, I've never been to so many places because of this just sense of like, ah, there's going to be something in, in my shoe, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to put on my shoe. There's going to be something in there. Something that is something that's the size of a mouse, but it, doesn't nurse its young. If there's a mouse in my shoe, I'm pretty fine with that because a mouse gives milk. <laughs> so you're okay with that? Yeah. <laughs> if there's a, is, if there's a, a dolphin in my shoe, I'm fine. <clears throat> if it nurses its young, like I, I had a possum living in my house for half a year and I had a lot of sympathy for it. Yeah. Eventually that sympathy ran out. But, you know, every night I was tormented by this possum. But in the morning I was like, oh, but, you know, the little possum, little possum babies, you know, rats. I feel bad about killing rats. But these things with antenna, I don't uh, we had I, so I, We had so many rats in my first house. They were just living 
in the walls. They were everywhere and you'd hear them at night. And then they would, they would manage to wedge themselves into places where they would get stuck. And so you'd hear them just in there in their, in their death throes. <gasps> we heard, we had so many, so many rats. And, uh, after we, you know, they were just, they were just there in this part of Orlando. It was just, that was just the way it was. Apparently they were tree rats. This was the house that you lived in with your mom? No, no, my uh, my like first, first first house, yeah, so, college house, yeah. yeah, no, uh, for out of out of yeah, right out of college, bought a house, and after we moved, I'd become pretty good friends with my neighbors, and after I moved, they told me how the neighbor, who I mean, the guy who bought the house, was just trapping rats, and he said they would see him bringing the carcasses out in bags at a time oh my God. to remove the rats. We had to get that house uh, tented for termites. Oh boy. This is terrible. No, I'm, I'm, I don't let, you know, here in Texas, we have scorpions that, that, uh-huh. that sting. We get to, we've talked about tarantulas. Do you think that people are enjoying this program right now? Yeah. Dan? I think this is a, a special show. Oh, I, <clears throat> I get the uh, I get the creeps. I'm in, I'm in, the reason I'm embarrassed. Yeah, why are you, I was going to ask you that. Why are you embarrassed? Well, because you know I'm like I'm not <clears throat> I'm not scared of wolves, especially. Well, I mean, that's I feel like wolves it, aren't don't really hurt humans. Oh, they hurt humans. No, they don't. Well, because we've killed them all. Because they. No, I've always heard scared that us so bad. Wolf attacks on humans are super super rare. There's like eight. I'm going to look this up. Wolf attacks on humans. Yeah. Okay. So there, here's an article on this. Apparently the country with the most records of this wolf attacks, wolf attacks is France. What? From 1200 to 1920, the year 1200 to 1920, 7,600 fatal attacks were documented. There were there were wolves in France in 1920. I'm just reading what this says. Gray wolf, and really? it says that uh, in modern times they occur most often in India and neighboring countries. There are few historical records or modern cases of wolf attacks in North America. In the half century up to 2002, there were eight fatal attacks in Europe and Russia, and three in North America. You're kidding. So you're. Damn, that is a fascinating, fascinating article. Experts categorize wolf attacks into various types, including rabies infected, predatory, agnostic, and defensive. I want to know about agnostic wolf attacks. Why would an agnostic wolf even care? (laughs) Agnostic attacks are motivated not by hunger nor fear, but rather by aggression designed to kill or drive off a competitor away from a territory or food source. As with predatory attacks, these may begin with or be limited to exploratory or investigative attacks designed to test the vulnerability and determination of the victim. Even when pressed until the death of the victim, agnostic attacks normally leave the victim's body uneaten, at least for some time. I'm now trying to apply that principle, agnostic attacks... To many other things, yeah, <laughs> to just, human interaction, and I really like it. You just want to press your victim. I just, feel like this is not a predatory or a defensive attack. Right. This is simply an agnostic attack uh-huh. to test your vic- to test your limits. Um, I am blown away by by this that you are teaching me. I'm just saying you shouldn't be afraid of wolves because 
historically, you've got really nothing to fear in modern times of wolves. Right. There's almost no scenario where you could be harmed. I can't think of a scenario where you'd really be harmed by a wolf. In fact, I think, I think you, should, you should embrace the fact that you can't be harmed by wolves and go and try and be with wolves. I have seen wild wolves, and I've seen wild wolves that were caught and captured and kept tied to a chain. Yeah. And they are scary, 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 scary. I'm terrified of wolves. But also, this may be a thing, again, that is encoded in my genes somehow, where, where wolves really were a scary thing to my prehistoric ancestors in a way that bugs were not. But then, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense because I'm scared of bugs because they're alien to me, but scared of wolves because they're familiar to me. My I, This whole fear encoded in the genes thing is still needs some work, this theory. Candace Burner, a teacher and avid jogger, was discovered dead along a road by snowmobilers who found wolf tracks in the adjacent snow. She's one of the victims? Yes, this is the most recent victim, age 32, March 8th, 2010. The type of attack is listed as a predatory. Not agnostic. Oh, they, oh, they ate her. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, multiple injuries due to animal mauling. And they did a series of necropsies performed on wolves culled in the surrounding area shortly after uh-huh. the attack. It ruled out rabies, sickness, or wolf-dog hybridization as potential causes. Oh, wolf-dog hybridization is a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. No, I know. I'm worried about uh, it now. Well, by contrast... Between 1890 and 2011, at least 20 people in North America have been killed by cougars. Which kind? The animal? (laughs) (laughs) Ding! Yeah. I wish I had a bell. I have one over here. Hold on. I got got one for you. There you go. Ding, boing. Uh, So it seems that mountain lions or cougars Mm -hmm. or pumas <laughs> they're different those things are all different mountain cats or catamounts or a pain. mountain lion is not a cougar and it's not a puma they're all separate right or is it all one i think that i think that for the most part all those things cougar mountain lion puma uh, and i'm gonna even go as far as to include panther no now you've, America, gone, you've gone too far now. In North America, I think that they are all more or less the same critter. <clears throat> early now, Spanish, I, I, can't, I can't speak to catamounts. Early Spanish explorers of North and South America called it Leon, Leon. and Gato Monte, cat Gato, of the mountain. Gato Monte. From which we get the name mountain lion. Puma is the name the Incas gave this cat in their language. Okay. Cougar seems to have come from an old South American Indian word, ooh, cuguarcorana, cuguarcorana, which was shortened to cougar and then spelled differently. And uh-huh. panther is a general term for cats that have solid colored coats, so it was used for pumas as well as black jaguars. Jaguar. Okay, so panther. I think I always thought a panther was a black jaguar. <laughs> a black jaguar is something that you buy when you are a dentist. <laughs> I I don't think until this very moment I knew that all those things were at, were had no like scientific right. They're all dif- the same. 
like no g ge- no genus difference or whatever right they were just different like oh these people called it puma my people called it maize <laughs> and uh and catamounts and panthers and whatnot but listen to this their range is from western canada and western u.s to southern south america and florida habitat mm-hmm. Forests, prairies, deserts, and swamps. Mm-hmm. It's Florida everywhere. Panther, Florida Panther is a famous, like famously endangered big cat. Right. That they're trying to, and I think they realized, although the Florida Panther is a separate little family of panthers that they can introduce some genes. They can, you know, they can put a, they can. They can set things right. Set things right a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. It's also know. their hockey team, by the way. The Panthers? Yeah. I have I, I have a story about a guy that uh, is not a guy I knew, but a guy that I knew knew him who was attacked by a panther. Really? Uh, but but this the same thing like your like your gal that you know your gal that was out getting attacked by agnostic wolves. He was just running in the running on a logging road, and yeah, panther jumped on him from up high, which is I think one of the ways they attack, or a big way. But like in the in the West, talk about panthers or you talk about cougars, because the cougars, of course, are the that that's the mascot of Washington State University. Uh, but these are again not things uh, that we found in Alaska, especially. Um, I don't know the idea of getting attacked by a big cat. That's that's up there on my list of things that are real, just real scary. So my my understanding is that the way a the way a big cat kills you is, you know, they're like all like all big predators. I think they want to they want to get you by the back of the neck, but the big cat can do another thing, which is flip over on its back and then like eviscerate you right, rake you with the back legs. Ah, oh. that would be terrible because you would think I've got you now, cat. And then, oh shit! Yeah, I would much rather, and I've I've told my family to prepare themselves for this because it's how I plan to go out eventually. Uh, is uh, through the great white a great white attack? A great white th- shark? Yeah, because I feel like eventually I will have outlived my usefulness, like an old Eskimo, and instead of wandering out into the snow, I'll make a pilgrimage to where the great whites are under the pretense of I've always wanted to swim with the great whites and I'll just leave the cage and swim to my destiny. And I've always, I've told my wife this since I was, since we met years ago. So she's ready for it. Wait a minute, Dan. But getting attacked by like a cat would be horrible. A a great white, you just, you just, it's everything's peaceful and quiet under the ocean. You're under the water and you just go and you're just taken away. The salt water is soothes your wounds or whatever. And then you're just out. Dan, this doesn't make any sense at all. I'm going to wait till I'm like 90 something to do it. I'm not doing it this month. But, but as someone who purports to, you know, have, have sort of, uh, tussles with anxiety and I love the ocean, but a great white. I don't have any fear. I don't have any fear of the ocean. Nothing really. No fear. No fear of the ocean. Nothing. No fear. I don't get seasick. And uh, no fear of the ocean. No fear of anything in the ocean. I've done scuba. I've done snorkeling. I've done it all. 
I can't drown Spalding. I'm from South Africa. <laughs> that's in, that's crazy to me, Dan. The the ocean is the most fearsome of all things on Earth. The ocean has no sympathy. The no. ocean has no. The ocean doesn't care. The ocean is enormous and 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 the depth is the depths are full of horrors. Yeah. No. I mean, it. I would love to go down. In like a sub. Well, that would be awesome. But, Wouldn't that be but, awesome? But even the waves, even the waves on the beaches are there to kill. Everything about the ocean does not care. It's, That's what I love about it. It's just, you know, it's straightforward. You understand it. You can understand ag- it. You know where you stand with everything. It's agnostic. That's the thing about it. That's what's <laughs> yes, so terrifying about yes, it. Yes. It's neither defensive nor predatory. Right. The ocean is just an agnostic killer. And you have no, you're just like Mr. At Peace with the Ocean. <laughs> yeah, totally. Wow. I don't like the beach, but right. I love the ocean. Wow. Love boats, love boating. When I was a kid, I was in a summer camp. And they, one of the things they taught you, I guess you had to get certified to canoe and to use a sailboat. Right. And uh-huh. what they would do is they would teach you how to, if the, if the sailboat, these were very small <laughs> sailboats, but if they would capsize, you had to learn how to write them. And, and, you know, if you couldn't write it, you had to learn how to like hang on the, off the side of it and mm-hmm. tread water for seven minutes and all this stuff. Love that stuff. And I just, that became, I guess it was about seven. I just, I love boating. I would like to live on, on a boat on the water. That's my dream. Oh boy, don't tell your wife that. No, she doesn't want to hear about it. Uh, have you ever gotten a scuba endorsement? Uh, n- no, I was never certified uh, to do scuba, though I, I did it anyway. Uh, my Wait, uncle. You, you just went scuba diving without an endorsement? Yeah, I took my uncle's, uh, my uncle's stuff because he was doing, he worked for, at the time, um, which is the James Bond movie? Is it For Your Eyes Only, where there's a sort of submarine battle going on? Was up a spy who loved me? This is going to uh, bug me now. Oh, well, let's see here. If only there was like a way to look this only, up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the one. For you. Well, he worked at a company that made. He's an, an. He still is an electrical engineer, and he they were he was working for a sub company in South Florida, and they they actually were the ones that built the bad guy sub. No, in, it was the spy. It was the spy who loved. The spy me. who loved me. Okay, so was, in, the, was the underwater one? Yeah, that's. So he built the bad guy sub in that, and wow. uh, he had tons of scuba stuff. And I just who, who did this? Who built this? Who built the sub? My uncle. Your uncle built the sub. Well, on not the single hand. You make it. You're giving him too much credit. He wasn't like the one guy. Dude, the company he worked for built it, and I'm they gave fine. us. They gave these cool souvenir keychains that had like a picture of the sub and James Bond on them, and they were like copper uh, keychains, like like a medallion keychain. Really cool. Wish I still had it. Yeah, they uh, uh, they did they did great they did great work on that sub and he he had all kinds of scuba stuff. I went scuba diving in the ocean and the, this is by they had like a reef. It wasn't like mm-hmm. a coral reef like you'd find in Australia, but it was the best we could do in South Florida. And I scoop would go scuba around that. I, I learned in a pool. We had a pool at my uh, grandparents' uh, condo in Boca, mm-hmm. and I scubaed in the pool to learn. It was great. Dan, Dan all of this like. Um like rogue scuba stuff that you're talking about. It's, it's like, it's like you're saying to me, Oh, I never got certified, but I was, you know, I did a little bit of motorcycle stunt man work. Like, 
It's not that it's like, not that what? big of a deal. You just put on the thing on your back. You put the thing in your mouth, bite down, and uh, goggles on. You you swim. The flippers on. No, no, no. It is a big deal. It's a very, very, very big deal to be anywhere near a scuba tank, let alone have one on. And as long as your oxygen mix is right, there's nothing to worry about. And your it's oxygen not like mix going down to getting the bends or something. I didn't go just, that far. Anything, anything that you do that requires a good oxygen mix uh-huh. is, by its very nature, something that it, that that is. Uh, that is uh, something that I do not want to really do. If you're going to put me in a thing and you're going to close a door of some kind and say, all right, let's get the oxygen mix right. I'm like, open the door and get me out into the air. Let alone. I was outside. I was just out in the sun. Here's a tube, stick it in your mouth and we're going to try and get the oxygen mix right. No, it was fine. Everything went fine. And I even had a cool, I had a cool lamp. You would like this. I had a really cool laminated uh, sheet of like pictures of all the fish that you could see in that area that I could, I took under the water with me. I would like to see that if I were sitting at a table Uh and I could look at the thing and say, oh, there are all these fish in the ocean. But I, you know, I, I suffer from um, claustrophobia. Really? and the associated uh, ailment of panic when you are when you feel claustrophobic, right? And but you're in all. You're all. First of all, you're a big guy. You're every place is small for you. I know. There's I no often, place you can go indoors that's not going to be claustrophobic for you. I'm off. Well, I don't have like extreme claustrophobia where I can't be in a house. But like, I sat down on an airplane two days ago, and the and. When I bought the ticket, there was no one in the middle seat. And then it turned out that my row was one of the lucky ones where the last minute mm. uh, people that buy buy or get stuck with tickets in the 11th hour get stuck into these middle seats. And it was next to me. And it was a big lady. And as soon as she sat down in the seat, I was like, get me out of here. Oh and it was like, because I had a window, uh, which isn't, isn't my preferred place either. But, you know, I'm just like, here I am now. I'm trapped in this place. It's three hours. I can do it. But I'm not very happy about it. But, but like, claustrophobia in the sense of anything that might restrict my breathing. Like, one of the nice things about scuba and snorkel is that nothing restricts your motion. Right. You are free as a bird. You're flying, flying, flying. But, but the prospect of my breathing being interrupted even for a second it has kept me far away from scuba. It, a lot of that feeling keeps me out of caves. Like I, I would love to be a spelunker. Oh, those are claustrophobic. Everyone's going to feel claustrophobic in a, in a cave, I would think. Well, but those, those people, you know, Oh, I just, I can't even, ah, I can't even talk about it. Really? The people, uh, who go scuba diving in caves, in uh, like down in the the Yucatan, yes, that's always sounded really interesting to me. Well, it sounds interesting to me too. In the in the abstract, it sounds interesting to me. Like a one way manned mission to Mars would sound interesting. I don't want <laughs> to be. I don't want to be on a one way manned mission to Mars. But in Mexico, there are these things called cenotes. Uh, 
And cenotes are these crazy, crazy caves, like deep, I guess, like uh, sinkholes or something. And you're, you know, you're bopping around down there in Yucatan. And then you'll just come in this, come to this giant hole in the ground. And in a lot of cases, the hole and the hole's full of water. And it's a big, it's a big hole. It's not like a six foot around hole. It's Mm -hmm. like a, it's like a, like a cavern and it's full of water. So it's like this beautiful sort of lake and you can swim in them and they're, and they're wonderful. But then they go down they go down forever. I would love, I would totally go in that. People get in their scuba gear and they go down and they go scuba under the ground in these long, long caves and they come out like 10 miles away in a different cenote. That sounds so cool. I was swimming in a cenote one time, just having the great, having a a grand old time. And then all of a sudden there are bubbles around me and I'm like, what the, and then a scuba diver pops up and then another one pops up and they came into this cenote from the ground, from under the world. Wow. And you know, like at, at the level of, is this interesting? I find it very interesting. I love to look at maps of cenotes and how they connect with one another and all these unexplored passages that are under the, under the earth that these people are, these brave, brave, intrepid souls are exploring. But if you put me on a scuba, in a scuba gear and you trained me for a year until I was, until I could do like, trigonometry underwater and not get scared. Right. And then you put me down in a cenote and you said, go under there. And I was like, I'm Mr. Scuba trigonometry. Uh-huh. Like I, I, I do this all the time for the last year. I've done nothing but scuba. As soon as I was down under the earth and could no longer see the light of day, I would want, to do and I would do want to do nothing but go immediately back to the to the light. I'm pretty sure. I can't I cannot imagine a scenario where I would be comfortable in a in the like the double fuckery of breathing through an oxygen tank and in a cave under the Okay, but you're you've picked a very extreme sort of scenario for yourself. I mean, I think most people who are doing any kind of diving, that's an advanced dive. You know what I mean? That's that's yeah. not that's not like let's just swim around this beautiful coral reef and, you know, hold hands together underwater as we gaze down upon these beautiful fish for, you know, a couple hours and Yeah. No. You could would you be willing to try snorkeling? Oh, I love snorkeling. Dan, I love to do it. But every time I and I've snorkeled a lot, but every time I snorkel I have to spend uh, 20 minutes to a half an hour tamping down my panic mm. until I arrive at a place where I can snorkel comfortably. And the panic is always there. It's always, you know, it's always just sort of tickling the back of my is, ear. Is the part of it, the claustrophobia part of it, having the mask on, having the tube in or being underwater? All of the above. All of it. Okay. I just don't, if, if you put a, if you put a, like, one of the things that kept me from being a competitive swimmer was the goggles. Well, there are a lot of things that kept me from being a competitive swimmer. I was going to say that this is interesting. But one of the things that kept <laughs> I me didn't from know even, that was in, in your wheelhouse. The thing was that it, it felt like I had a build to be a good swimmer, right? I'm long. I'm, I'm strong. My, my upper body is strong. I'm, I can, uh, 
I could have been a, a, an effective swimmer. I don't float. I'm not naturally buoyant. But when you put the goggles on and you're looking at the bottom of the pool and then you're swimming and you're putting your head up to take a breath, that operation uh, like triggered a panic response in me so that I can swim with my eyes closed. I can take a breath to the side, but somehow the combination of like, now I'm, now I'm, I've got goggles on right there. I, I start, I, I start to come, the, my wheels start to lose their grip and then put a tube in my mouth and I'm breathing air through the tube. Boy, I really have to work. I have to psychologically put myself in a place of calm and maintain that, you know, like keep putting coal in the furnace of calm. Because if I let that, fire burn low, uh, the fire of calm, then, I, the, the, then the, the tidal wave of panic surges in me. Mm. And I don't have panic in any other aspect of my life, right? I don't panic in crowds. I don't panic in, um, like, I don't panic from danger. I don't have a flight response. Right, like I, that's why this kind of surprises me because I would think that you'd be a very calm person in an emergency. I tend to be yeah. very, very, very calm in any kind of emergency. Yeah, if there's a big fire, if there's a big, uh, if there's a big fist fight, or if there's like you know, I if I hear police sirens, I go toward them always. Right, right. But if you put me in a closet and shut the door. If it's a closet, I'm fine. I've spent some time in closets. Even if you shut the door and locked it, if I was in a closet that was full of clothes, right. I could probably handle that. But if you put me under a bed or in, a, in the trunk of a car, I mean, you know, the, the number of times I've been handcuffed in the back of a police car, uh, let's say it's more than probably less than a dozen times, but more than half a dozen times. Okay. And when I was drinking, uh, the, the, the effect of the alcohol is disinhibiting enough that being handcuffed in the back of a police car drunk was sort of like, (laughs) right. It was sort of like a, like a Xanax or something. Yeah. I was like, well, I don't like this. This isn't my preferred thing, but, uh, I'm not going to, the, uh, I think the thing, the fear of being handcuffed in the back of a police car is if you make any kind of fuss about it, you have a 0% chance of improving your situation and a 100% chance that they are going to make it worse by either tightening the handcuffs, which they can do, or sitting on you. Now, if I were in the back of a police car and I had handcuffs on and then a somebody needed to restrain me because I was uh, I was a threat to them or, you know, you know how the cops are. Sure. Oh, he was, he was freaking out. So we needed to restrain him by sitting on him. Oh no, 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 no. Don't put me in a police car handcuffed and sit on me. So there's a, there is a threshold. I can sit in the back of a police car handcuffed, but don't sit on me. That's the, that's where I draw the line. 
I think I think everyone's ready to draw the same line. Yeah. That doesn't sound yeah. like anything would anyone would like that. No. And like I've been in a jail I've been in a jail and I didn't object to being in a cell because I can pace. I don't think I would like to be in a cell for 10 years. I think that would go crazy. That would drive me crazy. But those when you see those pictures of like people in isolation, yeah. In prisons. Isolation is the worst though. Yeah, where it's not a cell, it's like a door, it's like a steel door with a plexiglass window. Yeah, that's And there's ugh, I just that's No one but see that's not a claustrophobic thing. That's that's something that everyone would agree is pretty horrible. I mean, we we see this on TV all the time. All these prison TV shows and TV, TV, TV. And people love to go on TV and watch people in prisons uh, because, you know, it's voyeurism of a thing that no one ever hopes to do. And no one ever hopes to have it done to them. But we've watched these TV shows enough that this that it's somewhat normalized now to imagine a whole cell block of people who are in a tiny room with no, uh, like no air, and they're in there twenty three hours a day. And I can't think of anything that I mean. If that was a if that was a cell like Alcatraz style, where you had bars. And you could just lean against the bars and breathe the air and yell obscenities at your guards and bang your tin cup on the bars. <laughs> it's so much more livable and endurable than those hermetically sealed, um, like high security, high risk inmate style rooms. And I can't believe that we that we have a system where where the where contractors build those things. And I understand from a prison guard standpoint, like you don't want problem prisoners to be throwing poop at you all day. But the inhumanity of like, of that degree of being sealed. I'm, um, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. I think that's insane. You're right. It would drive you insane. Yes. Because you have no recourse. You can't sit there and appeal you're like, guard, please listen to me now. I need to be out of this room right now. Please, friend, guard, yeah. guard friend, please find an excuse to get me out of this room for an hour. And the guard is like, can't do it. Sorry, clank. Whoa. Like to be in a place where your charm wouldn't work, <laughs> where you could not appeal to anyone. Right. No, one no letter you wrote. To anyone, even if you were friends with the governor's son from your college fraternity. And there are so many people living in, in situations like that. And that causes my hackles to, to raise up. Like there are a lot there. It's not just that you get put into a maximum security prison. There are lots and lots of ways that you could end up in a shipping container. Yeah. Or otherwise like restrained against your will. And I, I don't, well, I don't like any of them. I don't want, I don't want that to happen. And I, and I, and I don't, I, I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Um, but you've, you've somehow in this program, we have hit upon the area of my greatest vulnerability, which yeah. is 
the idea that I would be caged or um, deprived of free movement or have my breathing uh, be made conditional on anything. None of that, none of that makes me at, at all glad. Right, and but it's not like you're. It's not like you're saying, "Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm terrified of socks or something like that." You know, like these are these. Are, I think are, you should feel okay because I think a lot of people would agree with you and share these concerns, fears. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, but I, but I'm a mind over matter type person. Mm-hmm. You know, I always feel like I try and face down your, um, face down your inhibition. And yet, when you say, John, why have you never been to Thailand? Which is a good question. Seems like I should have been to Thailand. Um, the two things, which are like 18-hour flight and giant bugs waiting for me there. Mm-hmm. At one point or another, those things were significant enough inhibitions that I was like, well, I definitely do want to go to Thailand. There will just, there will be a time. There will be a time when there's a high-speed train to Thailand or, uh, or an SST that gets me there in six hours, even though uh, the cabin of an SST is much smaller and more confining. The flight is shorter. But then a couple of years ago, I flew from Dubai to New York. And that was not a short flight. No. Um, How many hours was that? More than 12. I think more than 14. I don't know. It's up there. That's a long flight. I don't remember exactly how far it was, but it was, you know, it was... The way I calculated it, I guess, was one full sleep, which is on a plane, like the most you can hope for is six hours. Yeah. And then you watch three full movies, which if you pick your movies right, is another sort of six hours. And then, you know, an hour on the front and back where you're doing crossword puzzle. (laughs) And then, you know, maybe you've got another hour where you're just, you've got nothing to do there, but sit and think about the fact that you are not on a plane for several more hours. And that's the, that's the hardest part, right? The hardest part is like, I'm in the middle of this flight now. There's no, there's nothing to be done on either side of this. This hour right now is an hour that I'm spending with myself just trying to think about anything else. So I, but I, so I don't like being inhibited, you know, like I don't, I don't like there to be any experience that I'm excluded from by my own, um, incapacity. And I've explored a lot of the world but whole big chunks of it, I haven't. And it's not, it's not because I'm now middle-aged and have these problems. Mm-hmm. I had these problems when I was 20. And I'll sleep out in the dirt, you know? I'll sleep out in the muddy dirt. But 
Not if there are bugs in the muddy dirt. And that just seems like impoverished a little bit. Because there are all kinds of people sleeping in buggy dirt, bug dirt. And they may be afraid of, of other things. They may be afraid of, of uh, like, the traffic in the city or something. Right, sure. But, but I, I've, been, I've been waiting and maybe even training a little bit to, to have fewer of that kind of specific, you know, like when I think about being a Navy SEAL, which obviously I've thought about a lot. Yeah. There are some things in SEAL training that would have prohibited me from being a SEAL from the get-go. And a lot of it is that underwater stuff. Um, or the stuff where they put you in a they put you in a room and they fill it full of poison gas for a minute. Mm-hmm. See how you like that. See how see how you like them apples. This is what this is what I wouldn't I wouldn't be an astronaut. For I mean, this is the all of my fears, except for bugs, are combined into one job, which is astronaut. Like, we're going to put that you sounds, in. I mean, that would be terrible for you. Yeah, we're going to put you in a little teeny can from which there is no escape. We're going to we're going to control your oxygen mixture and we're going to send you to a place where once you are once you're strapped in and up there, there's no exit door. It's like being in in it's like being in the worst ad seg part of the worst prison in history with like three to five other people. Right. I couldn't bear it, Dan. No, I don't well, I don't blame you. And yet there are there, you know, there are these superhero people that it doesn't bother. These people that are scuba diving in in cenotes. Mm-hmm. And astronauting. And I don't. I don't think I would mind the. I don't think I would like being in in space. I don't think I want to be in space. But the Sonode thing sounds pretty fun. That's insane. You're crazy. But there's stuff. There's stuff you do on a daily basis that I wouldn't want to do. I'll go into the cenote. That's fine. I'll scuba with the shark, whatever. But there's bars you've been to. I wouldn't go to. <laughs> you know what I'm you know what I'm saying? That you you're planning to go to tonight, and I'm like, no way am I going there. That's funny. So I think it all balances out in the end. It's all even. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, I. It's not like I. It's not like I woke up this morning saying, "Your fear of bugs and confined spaces is." is a uh, something that you should be deeply ashamed of. No. No, but 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 somehow we somehow we got very quickly to um to like a uh, the the combined sort of the 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 fences that keep me corralled. Mhm. Um yeah, maybe that would be too much if if you could do that. Maybe that would be too much. You know, like there wouldn't be enough enough limits for you. You know, like you'd be too powerful if you didn't have these things slightly holding you back. Oh, I see what you're saying. You see? So this is... Uh, that you'd be too perfect of a being. Oh. Uh, if in some way 
you know, if, if this was just, if these limits were removed, I had a friend who was in the Navy and he used to, he was like the, on what, what is the rank right beneath, uh, the captain of a, of a ship He's like commander. The, commander. So he was like the number one guy beneath the captain of this carrier in the, in the Navy. And I was like, how fast is this? and go you know and i wasn't asking him like tell me tell <laughs> me can this baby go yeah i wasn't like tell me something secret he's like well i can't tell you that right and this was you know many 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 years after he'd been out of the uh out of the service and i said i said what do you mean like you don't know he's like no i know i just can't tell you right he said but what is stated is that it goes this fast i forget what it was you know 40 knots whatever i don't know what that means that's a pretty good guess. And uh and That's fast for a big boat. Right. And he said, "But if we pull out all the stops, mm-hmm. it it can go even faster." But that's all I can say. And I feel like those stops, like these are your stops. These are the things that keep you from being too much, too perfect. Huh. I mean, You know what I, I'm, I'm saying because what what could stop you? Merlin was explaining uh, that uh, that Thor and Loki mm. were uh, limited somehow on Earth or made normal. I wasn't really paying attention, but the but there's something that keeps Thor from being all the way supernatural here. That sounds familiar. I don't really as a as a character. I never really got very into Thor. Um. So I don't really know. That's one character I just don't don't know very much about. But I I remember in the early Thor days, he was a he was a guy, a human, and he walked around with a cane and he would tap the cane on the ground and that would essentially turn him into from this sort of disguised normal human into uh into the god of thunder Thor. And He'd the, tap the cane. The cane would become the hammer. The hammer. Yeah. Wait a minute. Thor is the god of thunder? Correct. Is he also the god of rock and roll? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh. I'm, I'm going to say no. Just trying to make sense of some of the things I've heard. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think he is. Uh, well, I don't, think, uh, I don't think, Dan, that it's just my uh, fear of caves and... And uh, the Apollo program that keep me from being like master of the earth. Mm. There are some other things. There are some other things that they get in my way, like arrogance and laziness. But uh, but that's yeah, that's that's intriguing. That that we all have built in uh, limiters, right? I wonder. I wonder a lot about um, about. I think that one of the one of the nice things about human beings, one of the nice things about the modern world is the is the idea that the sort of um, the mochaccinoization of America, you know, the sort of through the process of miscegenation that we are creating a, a finally like a blend of of human beings. Like we're coming back together and making a, making a new race of people through all this intermixture. Ah, yes. Um, because, 
you have these, these incredible situations. Like I know a guy named Evan Kane, who's a tremendous violin player, who's, I think his mother was from Iceland and his father was from Korea. And that isn't a combination of humans right, that, that ever has, could have existed. It couldn't have, right? right? Or it's just like would have been the rarest, rarest, un, unusual form a hundred years ago. And so here we are in America. We're making this tremendous group of new human beings that have, I, I, I would imagine, ultimately like the, the, the highest resistance to disease, the highest combination of capabilities mm-hmm. where it's like the, the, you know, the, 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 the things that were selected for in this group of people and now in this are, you know, like combined. And I wonder about my, uh, like, skittishness about bugs, but, but tremendous resistance to the cold. Right. And whether, uh, you know, whether, because my daughter's mother is a, is a, a sort of American poly culture she, her her heritage is a little bit French Canadian and a little bit uh, this and a little bit of that and a little bit of these and so my daughter, although no one in my family has any um, has any kind of like genetic diversity really when it comes to like geographically diverse, mm-hmm. my daughter all of a sudden is like half uh one of these uh, like wonderful people that have genes all over the place. And I hope that that has, you know, that that gives her resistance to not just smallpox, but also claustrophobia or um, I'm not, you know, it's, it seems to me unclear how all that stuff works and maybe unclear to us all. But, but I, I, you know, I dream about that stuff. The, the, the former drummer of the long winters who, uh, Nabil Ayers, who grew up, you know, his father was black and his mother was Jewish. And that's not an uncommon combination, right? Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, the, the Lenny Kravitz and the Slash, I think, are both. Right, yeah. right. And, and, uh, in, and in musicians. Maybe that's, that's a right. good combination for musical genius. Well, it, see, it seems that, the, that that is the natural outgrowth of the fact that the Jews were, you know, it, uh, like were... It, the the number let's see the white people that brought african american music to the popular culture were overwhelmingly jewish right there was a lo- there was a lot of affinity between the two cultures the, all the all the the people that were like let's get this rock and roll on wax and on the radio a lot of jewish people there and so the the two cultures like really combined um and it was much more likely that uh that there were going to be half Jewish kids, half Jewish, half black kids, then there were going to be half Presbyterian, half black. Let's just say sure. that. Um, but then it turned out Nabil started talking to his father, and his dad said, uh, oh, well, you know, I'm only like one eighth African American. I'm one quarter Native American, I'm one quarter like uh, Louisiana Cajun. He went down this list of all of his, um, you know, all of his grandparents and he was considered a black guy and Nabil thought of himself as half black, but really he was 
like one twenty fourth mm. um, African American. It was just that you know he he had black physical characteristics, and so that was what people assumed he was, and that's how he was treated. And that was astonishing to me, you know, just to think of like the all the things in play in this friend of mine that I did that he didn't know about, I didn't know about. Like, wow, you're, you know, he's, one of his grandparents was from, um, like, I can't even think of all the different admixtures of people from around the world that were, that just had arrived together in my friend. And then thinking of the impoverishment of my dumb Western England, <laughs> you know, who like, oh boy, that we had one grandfather from Wales. That's a that's a lot of <laughs> a lot of genetic diversity. Right. Boring. Which is why I have uh I have set it upon myself to have uh forty wives, one from every nation. <laughs> one, one from every, you know, yeah. every peoples. <laughs> if only. <laughs> 